we are going to jump into uh, the book of Galatians. Now, um, the book of Galatians is kind of an interesting letter. It's um, Paul is writing and he's addressing an issue that was very rampant in his day. And essentially the, the gist of the, of the book of Galatians is this. Paul is saying, if you add anything to the gospel, you lose the gospel. If you add anything to the gospel, the gospel plus this. And I just turned on the TV today. I was just watching TV today, and I was watching different pastors and churches teaching, and I just sat there and I heard, I heard it today. I heard it to basically say, well, you need to believe in Jesus, and you need to do this, and this, and this, and this. I said, there it is. Paul has some strong words to anyone who would add to the gospel. And, and so I want to read, and we're going to look at the first uh, nine verses of uh, Galatians this morning. I want to read it. Uh, maybe you want to follow along with me. Um, if you, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible or, bring, or have your phone ready so that you can follow along. Uh, I believe the power is in the Word of God. And I think that's even more important as we look at this passage because that's essentially what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, don't follow me. Don't follow my words. In fact, if I or an angel from heaven teach you another gospel different than the one that I first gave you, let him be anathema. Okay, we'll talk more about what that means. But essentially, Paul gives some really harsh condemnation. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles, and if you go to page 891 or 890, more, more specifically, you'll find the passage we're going to be reading through. But I want to read it out loud as we get started. So let's jump in right now. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory uh, to God forever and ever. Amen. I am shocked that you have turned away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Now, let me just give you a little background to the book of uh, Galatians. The Apostle Paul was uh, a church planting missionary. And he was an apostle in the sense of the, like the 12 apostles because he was a witness of the risen Christ. So he was an apostle with a capital A. And essentially, he was sent by God on a mission. But he was a church-planting missionary. He would plant a church, and, and you can read about the journeys he went on in, Acts, in the book of Acts. 
But you'll see Paul going on missionary journeys. And he'll go to a region, he'll go to a city, he'll plant a church, he'll move on to another city, plant a church, and so on. And he'll come back around. And uh, so he does this. He plants churches. And he went to the region of Galatia and he planted a church and churches in the region of Galatia. And then he, what he would do is he would go back many times and he would revisit those churches or he would um, write them letters, but he would correct them or he would encourage them. So he, uh, he, he did this. And, and again, you can read about that in the book of Acts. Galatians itself was written about A.D. 50, and that's only 15 or 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. So this is very contemporary with the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, now, it, it, it's, lit, it's written before Acts 15 with, was the Jerusalem Council where they were debating, what do we do with Gentiles? Do Gentiles have to be uh, follow the law? Do they have to be circumcised? And there was a big debate within the church. See, here's what happened. When the gospel came, the Jewish people who accepted Jesus as the Messiah they understood that Jesus was the promised Messiah. But then now Gentiles are believing. And say, what do Gentiles do? Do they have to follow the, the Jewish customs too? Do they have to follow the Jewish customs? I mean, they're natural for us, but they're not natural for them. So do they have to be circumcised? So the council was trying to figure it out. In other words, how do I know if I'm a Christian? What, is it, what do I have to do to be a Christian? And the answer is nothing. And so Paul is going to address that in our text today. Now, Galatia is located in Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey. You know, if you think of Turkey, it's, that's where Galatia is, was. Uh, in his letter to the Galatians, Paul is addressing a problem in these churches. There's false teachers that have come, and they basically added to the gospel. They said, you've got to believe in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised, or you have to follow the dietary laws. And so they were adding to the gospel. And Paul was very upset with this. Um, they had to follow the, the believe in Jesus and follow the Old Testament laws. Now, in Paul's letters, you know, we don't write letters very much anymore. I mean, maybe you do, but most people don't. And you used to, I remember in school, you'd have to write the salutation, the introduction, and then you'd write the body, and then the, you know, the, conclu- you know, the closing and the signature. You, know, you just had a, a format, right, for a letter. Well, Paul writes letters like that. He has a greeting. He says, from Paul to the churches in Galatia, churches in Ephesus, or whatever, a church at Corinth. And then what he generally does is he goes from the salutation or the greeting to thanksgiving. He gives thanks to those who he's writing to. And he says, I give thanks to God for, you know, every time I think of you. So he said in one of the letters, he doesn't do that here. He says, I'm Paul. And by the way, I'm an apostle. How in the world could you guys have screwed things up so quickly? I mean, that's not what he says, but essentially that's what he says. So he's a little livid about all of this stuff. All right? So right out of the gate, what does he do? He establishes his authority. He says, I'm an apostle through Jesus Christ. He says, I wasn't sent by men. I wasn't sent from men. I was sent from God. And uh, he doesn't give a, have any thanksgiving. He says this in verses 6 and 7. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting, deserting him who called you in by the grace of Christ and 
are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. So they're in danger of, of exchanging the gospel for a different gospel, which Paul says there is no gospel. Because the minute you add anything to the gospel, you lose the gospel. That's essentially what he's saying. Now, what, what gives Paul the right? Let's just stop for a minute. Let's see, what gives Paul the right to say they're wrong and he's right? Because essentially that's what he's doing here. Essentially what Paul is saying is what you're believing is wrong, and I'm going to set you straight. I'm going to set you right. In fact, that's what doctrine is. Doctrine essentially says there is a certain way to believe that we believe is right, and there is a certain belief that is wrong. And we call doctrine and we call the other error, right? So the importance of final authority. What is Paul saying? He says, I'm an apostle. I'm not an apostle from men or through men but through Jesus Christ and God our Father. Paul is basically saying is, I wasn't sent by a group of people. I wasn't sent from men or by men. I was sent by God. God has given me this message. And in the end, what we have to decide is, on whose authority do we act? On whose authority do we behave? And every one of us has to make that decision every day of our lives. How do we determine what to believe and how to believe? And should we ever tell people that their beliefs are wrong? You say, well, that's touchy because we live in America and we live in a pluralistic society that says, well, you can believe whatever you want. And that's absolutely true. But everybody can't believe everything because everything contradicts something. You there, are, there are beliefs out there right now that one belief is the exact polar opposite of another. So something is not right. They both can't be right at the same time. I can't both be fat and skinny at the same time or tall and short at the same time. That's logically absurd. And essentially, many people hold views that are divergent that much. So there, there is that judgment we do. Like, let me give you an example. Do all races deserve respect and protection? Well, absolutely, yes. We believe that all races... Uh, everybody is created in the image of God, that all races deserve respect and protection. But this is a religious and moral judgment. And the Nazis believed that there were, was a certain race that was expendable, that wasn't necessary, that was ex actually the world would be better without them. And we would say they're wrong. Well, why were they wrong? Why were they wrong? And now you get to the heart of it. How do you make those judgments? How do you determine... What, how you're going to behave and what is right and what is wrong. Where do you get that from? And essentially what Paul is saying is, I'm getting my direction from God. Now, we're getting to the heart of it. How do you determine what your final authority will be? And I think there's a few options. And this is where we generally get our final authority. If I were to say to you, what's your final authority? How do you know what is the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do? How do you know how to how to deal with people or treat people. And where do you get all that from? Well, there's a number of things, and some of these are good, but they ultimately can't be the final authority. For instance, we can go to tradition. We can say the teachings of the church. The church has taught me what to believe and how to behave and, and where my ethics come from. Well, that's great, but, you know, the church has been wrong often, Right? I mean, think of the church during the Crusades. Not a very good time for the church, generally. And so, the church or tradition, because some of you are raised in a certain religious tradition, and you say, I was raised this way, and, 
and uh, I was raised in this tradition, and there may be some really good positive things, but there, there may be some things that are wrong in that tradition. You already know it. Or we can go to society. We say, no, society will determine what is right and wrong, right? So we determine what's right and wrong by the society we live in. But you think about that and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Even as we look at the world today, there are societies all over that are very different. There was a society, again, back in 1942, that basically said this race of people should be exterminated. And it was a society that believed that. It was a whole group. It was a whole group of people that were part of that, okay? And so society can't be trusted, right? Or we could say, well, here's what we need to do. We need to look within, look within our heart. Let our conscience be our guide, right? I think that there are some people out there who are, um, that are um, serial killers. They probably follow their heart and their warped mind. So that's not really good. So what do you do? And Paul essentially is saying, my words that I'm giving you are not from me. I wasn't sent by men. I was sent from God. And if I say, if I give you something that's different than what God gave me, let, anath- let me be anathema. We'll talk more about what that is. So he's saying he received the gospel from God himself. He's saying, this is not my message. This is God's message that he gave to me, to you. And as you read through the New Testament, 1 Timothy and 1 Peter, you see that the word of God was given to men. They were driven along through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have the word of God today. That's why Paul says in verses 8 and 9, if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that's contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to one that you received, let them be accursed. What Paul is saying essentially is this. There is a final authority. There is an ultimate ethic. There is a right or wrong. And it stands and falls the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And he has given us his word. And the final authority is the scriptures. Do you ever wonder why some churches you go to, they say, why do they do that? Why do they believe that? Where is that in the Bible? Well, it's not in the Bible. It's they're following a tradition. And, and, and what we believe is, we believe, where is it written? Where is it written? That's one of the things of the free churches. Where is it written? Show me from the Scripture where it is, right? And that's our final authority. We've taken that as our final authority. He goes on to say that if he or an angel from heaven were to preach a different gospel from the one that Paul delivered to them, he was to be, the the, the word, he does it twice. He says, let them be accursed. He says, in case you didn't hear me, let me say it one more time. If anyone preaches a gospel different than the one that I first gave you, they add anything to the gospel, because that's essentially what he's going to say. The gospel plus anything. If they say that to you, let them be accursed. Now that literally means damned to hell. Okay, that's, that's pretty judgmental. Alright? That's pretty, like, in your face. And so when I see somebody on TV and they say, believe in Jesus, but also you have to, I don't know, be baptized. You have to do this. You have to do something plus Jesus. I, I see Paul's words and I go, you know, this is pretty serious here. Because what you're saying is the deal's not done until you do something. 
Paul says that's not the gospel. The minute you add anything to Jesus, anything to the gospel, you have just lost the gospel. You've lost grace. You have lost freedom. See, final authority is not found in tradition. It's not within our hearts. It's not within society or culture. There may be truth there, but our final authority isn't there. Our final authority is found in the very words of God. That's where we find it. What is this gospel message? Well, he tells us in verses 3 and 4, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present uh, evil age according to the will of God our Father. And, and there's three words I want to look at real quickly here. Rescue. You see, Jesus rescued us. He delivered us. He came to earth to save us. And, and what we don't like to know, know or hear is that we were drowning in sin, that we were dead, we were lost, we were blind, we were you know, alienated from God. We needed help. We desperately needed help. Uh, We were drowning in sin. And Jesus didn't come and say, okay, now you're drowning here. Let me teach you how to swim. You know, kick harder. You know, use your arms. He didn't do that. What Jesus did, he didn't, he didn't say, okay, you're drowning. Now here's how to save yourself. He dove in and saved us. There's a difference between teaching somebody how to save themselves and just saying, I, you're, you're lost, you're helpless and hopeless, and the only thing I can do is to save you. The only thing you're bringing to this equation is you're drowning. <laughs> you're bringing nothing to it. And so it's important for us to know that Jesus came and He gave Himself. He rescued us. And then there's the word substitution. Not only did He just come in and dive in to rescue us, but because he, died, he, 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 he dove in to rescue us, he died in the process. The rescue mission was totally successful and it cost him his life. So it, was, it would be like if you were drowning in, a, in, a, in the ocean and somebody dove in and saved you and pushed you on the boat and then they perished. That's essentially what's going on here. He was the substitution. Jesus gave His life for our sins, it says, just as God our Father planned. He gave Himself, meaning He gave up His life. There was an incredible cost for our forgiveness and our salvation. Jesus died on our behalf for our sins. He died on behalf of us. He died in our place. And until you come to that place where you realize you're drowning, you're helpless and hopeless, and you need not to be taught how to swim, but to be saved, and to know that your salvation cost Him His life, you haven't begun to understand salvation. The third word is grace. And, the, and, and ask the question, well, why did He do it? It wasn't because we were seeking Him. And I know from our perspective, it seems as though I sought him and, and I found Jesus. And there was a bumper sticker in the 1970s that says, I found him. Or I found it. I don't remember what the phrase was. I guess it wasn't very good or my memory is not very good. But it was, I found it. Or I found him. And, and, and from my perspective, it seems that way. But John says, no. He says, we love him because he first loved us. I didn't find him. He found me. I was drowning. I was, I couldn't find anything. I was dying. 
And we see, so why did he do it? Were we seeking him? Paul says in Romans, the first chapter, he says, there is no one who seeks him. No, not one. No one is looking for God. He sought us and he saved us just as the Father planted. It wasn't about us, it was about him. Here's, here's the summary of what I'm trying to say and what I think Paul's saying in chapter 1. He says, all you need for salvation is need. All you need for salvation is need. You just know, need to know you, you're in need. You're, 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 you're helpless and hopeless. That's what you need. And all you need for salvation is nothing. And that's the point that Paul's making in Galatians. You have to see that you are helpless and hopeless and he had to come and give his life. And by giving his life, he perished and he substituted. But he did it by grace, not because he saw anything and he said, wow, that's great. He just chose to love you. Why? I don't know. It's one of the mysteries of the universe. The gospel, when it's properly understood, is one of the most simple, simple and profound teachings in all the universe. It's simple enough that a child can understand it. But it is so complex that when we start to think about it, it boggles our mind. That's why Paul can say, as I said before, he says, my prayer is that you would ponder the love of God for you. How high and how low and how deep and wide His love is. Ponder that a little bit. The point he's making is the more you explore it, the more you're baffled by it. Here's the big idea I want you to take away this weekend. The more amazed you are about the gospel, the more you really are beginning to understand it. It's simple, but it's profound. Well, let me close with four quick questions. How do I know that I've received this gospel? How do I know if I've received it? Here's a few things. Number one, are you hearing his call? Paul says in verse 6, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from the God who called you to himself. He uses that phrase, kaleo, which means, and basically what Paul's, what Paul's saying here is, God called you to himself. He called you to himself. Now, <clears throat> let me explain what this word kind of means. Uh, when I was a, a kid, and I have five brothers. My mom used to call us for dinner. Say, boys, it's time for dinner. And we would respond by saying, okay, mom, we're coming. Now, what that meant was, we really heard you say something about dinner. And we know that you want us to come right now. But we're not coming. But we want you to believe that we are coming. So we'll tell you that, so you'll think that. And, and that's generally what we think of calling. I'm calling, and it's an inactive call. It's a passive. You do that with your kids today, don't you? Mom, uh, time for bed. Okay, Mom, I'm coming. I'm going. Yeah, no, you're not. Liar. <laughs> Just a minute. <laughs> that's not what he's saying here. When he says that God called you, think about the Word of God. When God speaks, it's not a matter of, I hope this works. I hope this happens. When God speaks, it's like an action. Right? In the beginning, 
God said, let there be light. And if you're starting to read through the New Testament or the Old Testament this year, you know what the next words are. And there was light. Light didn't say, okay, maybe. No, it is boom, there it is, right? When God speaks, it happens. Remember the time when Jesus is out on the water and uh, they're on a boat and it gets really stormy and, and Jesus is on the water and it, it, the disciples are just like, they're, they're panicking. It's, it's the storm and they come down and they get him. They, you have to help us. We're, we're all going to perish. We're all going to die. And it says that Jesus came out and he spoke and it says, if you, the word there is immediately the storm was still. Boom, it's done. When God speaks, it's not like, oh, I hope that... It's boom, it happens, right? Let me give you one more. Jesus' friend Lazarus is in the tomb, and he's been there, and he's been there a long time. And in fact, Jesus delays to make sure there's no question about it, this guy is dead. I mean, he's really dead. In fact, the sister comes and says, no, he really smells. I mean, he's really dead. He's decomposing as we speak. And Jesus said, move the stone away. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And what did Lazarus do? He, he resuscitated, he didn't resuscitate, he resurrected, and he came out. When God speaks, things happen. And I want to ask you, have you heard his voice? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So there's a point where when God speaks, do you hear His voice? And what I mean by that is, are you moved? Are you moved? Do you feel His power and presence in your life? Paul said about this, he says, I'm not ashamed of the good news of the Gospel about Christ. It is the power of God at work. And I want to just say, is the power of God at work in your life? Have you heard Him? Secondly, are you seeing His words? When you hear his gospel call, you will soon see the gospel that was once hidden. I remember going to church through 18 years of my life. And finally, one day, somebody opened the Bible up to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And I saw it for the first time. And I said, oh, crap. Why didn't I ever see this before? And I'm sure that... And I've had people say to me as a pastor... I've never heard this before. This, it's all, now I read my Bible and it all makes sense. It makes sense. And now it makes sense. I see things I never saw before. I, and I'm so mad. I'm so mad at my pastor. I'm so mad at my church. And they, I, they never taught this before. They never taught it before. And I just want to say to you, till your heart is turned, till your mind is keened, till your ears are opened, you will not hear it. Um, like I said, people come to me and say, I've never heard it. No one said it. Oh, yes, they did. You just, your, eye, your eyes weren't open. Your ears weren't open. I, I guarantee you, there's, there may be some people in five years or something, and maybe you'll be at a different church or something, and you'll, you'll hear the gospel for the first Maybe you're here and you'll hear the gospel for the first time. And you'll say, oh, crap. Look at that. I never saw that before. This is great. It's amazing. And then you're going to say, I went to Hope Church for 10 years. 
But I never heard Collins talk about the Gospel once. And you're here today. And you'll say, I never saw it. I never understood it. And that's what he's saying. There's hearing. Come on, kids. Time for dinner. Then there's hearing. Right? Are you sensing the cosmic drama? You know, when you receive the gospel, you're changed forever. But you look at the world in a different way. You see that there's, there's a different dynamic going on. You, you, you don't look for demons everywhere, but you know there's a spiritual dimension to this world that you never saw before, but now you see it. You see it all over the place. You see that this world is falling apart. You understand that you were under condemnation, that you were a slave to sin, that you were a prisoner, but now that you've been set free. Um, you see you were in bondage, but now you're no longer a prisoner. But now you see a cosmic drama unfolding. You realize that this world is around me is not go, going to a better place. It's going to a worse place. And that's not to be morbid or not to look down and not to enjoy life, but to say this world isn't the way God intended it to be. And it's not moving towards God. It's moving away. But here's the good news. The book of Revelation basically says, but it doesn't end this way. It ends in a good way with a new heaven and a new earth with all tears wiped away with joy and hope and peace and all the things that we want. You know, I watched a little football. In fact, I went to a party uh, on New Year's Day and I was, Baylor was playing. I forget what Big Ten team they were playing. Who, are they, who did Baylor play? Somebody yell it out. Michigan State? Right. So Michigan State is down a lot. And I wasn't watching the game, but they were getting pretty much beat. And I went to the party thinking, and I said, oh, man, that Baylor game, what a wipeout that was. <laughs> they said, what are you talking about? They said, Michigan State won. I go, no way. Oh, yeah, Michigan State won. And I thought, this is it. This is exactly it. I walked away thinking Baylor won that game because they were up by 20 points or more. And if you, re- if you stop right now, you go, oh, it's all over. But then you get to the book of Revelation. He says, well, they scored a touchdown here and an extra point here and a field goal here. Look at this. Lo and behold, they won. We win. But we know there's a cosmic battle, that there's ups and downs, that it's not always easy going, that we get hurt, that we struggle, that we don't know what this year holds. But we know what? We know in the end we win. But we're aware of a cosmic drama going on around us. Last thing, let me finish with this. When you uh, are a Christian, when you have heard the gospel truly, you are delighting in him. When you begin to understand the gospel, your depth of delight for the Savior grows day by day. You love him because he first loved you. You just are stunned that he loved you. You just... It breaks you down sometimes when you think about how loved you are and how cared for, that he would get off his throne and come to earth and give his life for you, rescue you. You were drowning and he dove in and saved you, put you on the boat and saved you and then gave his life for you. We love him because we're already loved by him. We delight in him. David wrote a lot in the Psalms about how he delighted in the Lord and how he loved the Lord. And, and God said he's a man after God's own heart. And you know, certainly wasn't a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. But he had a heart for God. And his delighting God grew. 
So do you know him? Have you received this gospel? Paul basically says, if you add anything to the gospel, you lose the gospel. You just lost everything. If you add anything to Jesus, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus the church membership, Jesus plus living a moral life, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. If you add anything to the gospel, you have lost the gospel. Paul's pretty, pretty, pretty strict about this. And he's angry. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they were at a funeral for a family member. And basically the church was saying something along the lines of, they're in heaven because they were a good person and they did a lot or whatever. And she said, I just, I was, I got angry because it wasn't the gospel. That wasn't the gospel. The gospel was this person was drowning, and Christ saved them and gave them new life. And the only thing they brag of, have to brag about is nothing. Except that they have an incredible Savior. And when you hear the Gospel perverted, it makes you angry. Paul said, if somebody preaches another Gospel, even if it's me or an angel from heaven, and it, and it adds anything to the Gospel, Let them be damned to hell. In case you didn't hear me the first time, let me say it one more time. If anybody adds anything to the gospel, Jesus plus anything, the gospel plus anything, let them be damned to hell. Amen. (laughs) Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. It is simple but profound. It is amazing. I pray, Father, that as we as we follow Paul along in this letter, that we would grow to the freedom that you have given to us. I I think some of the reasons we're feeling uh, prisoners and trapped and slaves is because we've been set free, but we've uh, walked back into the cell. We've closed the door. We've put the chains back on. We've allowed others to talk us into chaining ourselves up. May we this year live lives that are free in Christ. And may your Spirit direct us and guide us. I pray, Father, for everyone here in this room that they would hear the Gospel in its power and its majesty. That we would see our desperate need and our brokenness. That we would see the rescue party of one that came and rescued us. And gave his life in the process. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.